You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Um, if, if I don't know who you are, my name is Josh. I'm a youth and associate pastor here. Pastor Tim, our lead pastor, is out of town this morning, and I'm excited about sharing the word with you. I really just want to uh, dive in and break open one verse for us this morning. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now, we did a Roman study uh, last year where we kind of broke it down chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but sometimes you can't spend as much time on one verse that you want to. And uh, this verse has been going off inside of me lately, and so I really want to break it down a little bit with us this morning. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, <laughs> in a world that is obsessed with self, this verse is very countercultural. This verse is very much against what culture tells us to do. You know, we live in the age of self-help and self-care, and I'm not against those things, but it's, it's very easy for us to become self-centered. It's very easy to make our lives about what benefits us and how it affects me uh, personally uh, rather than those around us. I, I even uh, know that, that some believers are not really even worried about what's happening in the Middle East um, because it doesn't affect them. But that's not a great stance to take because we are all part of the same body. So the believers in Afghanistan are just as much as your brothers and sisters in Christ as those that are sitting on your right and left in here this morning. And so we should care for the believers in Afghanistan. We should care for our military, our military servicemen and women that are over there serving. We should care uh, to innocent uh, people. And, and even we should care for the unbelievers and the ones who persecute us. Jesus tells us that we should pray for them. That is our response to evil is, is prayer. Um, and so I'm not against, um, self-help and self-care. I just don't want us to be self-centered where our lives are solely focused on us and what benefits us the most. We can easily turn Christianity into a self-help gospel. You know, what can I get from Jesus instead of what, what, instead of what can I give to him? What can I give to him? So it's really quite the opposite of a self-help religion. Uh, it's a religion right here that fundamentally calls us to be a living sacrifice. It calls us into a lifestyle of self-denial. Now, that sounds legalistic on the surface. When you start talking about self-denial, it can sound very legalistic um, because really you talk about self-denial and things like that. It's submission to authority. It's kind of a dirty word uh, in our culture uh, nowadays, but submission is a beautiful thing. Submission to Christ, submission to God is a very, very beautiful thing. And I want to break this down for us this morning to understand why. Why do we have to offer our bodies as living sacrifices? Why do we lay everything at his feet? Why are we supposed to lay ourselves on the altar? Why give yourself totally to God? The easy answer is, number one, because he's God. <laughs> he's God and, and we're not. You know, that's, the, that's kind of the easy. He's our creator and our maker. Uh, that, that's the easy thing. Uh, but the second thing is he asked for it. He's God and he asked us to lay down our lives. And the last thing, number three, is he's worthy of it. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of everything. And I love how Paul starts this in, ver- in chapter 12. He says, I urge you in the view of God's mercy. Therefore, brothers, I urge you in the view of God's mercy. If there's a therefore, that means there was something beforehand. When he's saying therefore, he is saying because of everything that I just explained in 11 chapters. 
He's now switching gears and saying, now. So if you, if you read Romans 1 through 11, it is like foundational Christian doctrine. It's like foundational to our faith, and it's the incredible truth of God's grace and mercy and, and, and God's great compassion and goodness and love for us. And Paul's saying, with all of that in view, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, he, he walks through things like justification from guilt and the penalty of sin, adoption in Jesus and identification in Christ. He walks us through being placed under grace and not the law, given the Holy Spirit to live within, a promise of help in, a, in times of affliction. He, get, he talks about the assurance of standing in God's salvation. He talks about the confidence of a coming glory, the confidence that we have that we will never be separated from the love of God, a confidence of God's continued faithfulness. And that's when he says, therefore, with all of that out in front of you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when he says living sacrifice, it would have been very familiar language to the Jews for sure, because they've been spending thousands of years bringing sacrifices into the temple to atone for their sins. But, and even the Gentiles, some of the Gentile worship, they would offer sacrifices to their gods. But what's interesting about their sacrifices, number one, those sacrifices would die and were a living sacrifice, but they, uh, those sacrifices were to obtain mercy. And Paul's saying, you've been given mercy. And so we're not sacrificing ourselves to obtain mercy from him. We're sacrificing ourselves because we have received mercy from him. And so it's, it's a switch, you see, it's, it's, and it's so good. So we, fa- we sacrifice now in a response to accepting his mercy. We sacrifice, our, we sacrifice ourselves not to get God to love us, but because he does love us. That's it right there. <laughs> and then his, so we accept his love, and then we're able to then love him back. It, it, we love because he first loved us. And so it, we, as we accept that love, we're then able to love him back. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And he didn't say that in a like legalistic, like if you love me, you're going to obey me. He didn't say that with his teeth gritted and like, you're going to obey me. He said that is, he said that is, if you love me, you'll obey me. Because he knows if we're living in his love, obedience is going to be a byproduct of living in his love. I, because I live in his love, I want to obey him. I, when I see how worthy he is, I want to lay my life at his feet. (laughs) When you live with the reality of his love right out in front of you all the time through relationship with him, obedience becomes just a byproduct. It's not, I obey him begrudgingly. It's I, I obey him with joy. It's not servitude. It's sonship. It's not servitude, it's sonship. It's not a taskmaster driving his slave. It's, I'm his bride, and he's my bridegroom. That's what it is, Ephesians chapter 5. That, that the wife is supposed to submit herself and respect her husband because the husband lays his life down like Christ laid his life down for the church. And so now us as his bride we lay down our life for him because he laid down his life for us. Come on. Come on. I know the bridal thing, sometimes it makes us men a little bit uncomfortable. Like, I'm not a bride. 
well, the ladies have to be called sons, so you have to be called a bride. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a gender thing. The church as a whole, we are the bride of Christ, and he is our bridegroom. Our, the whole time we're here on planet Earth, we are getting ready for our wedding day, where the church and Christ become one and heaven and earth become one. It's going to be an incredible, awesome celebration. And so while that may, the bridal language might rub you a little bit the wrong way. Well, I'm not a bride. I'm a strong man. Jesus says you're his bride, so... Isaiah actually says that your maker is your husband. So I don't, you know, I don't take it up with the Bible, not with Josh Barnett. (laughs) But Paul is saying, because you see this great love in view of this great mercy, now offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is the basic commitment of the Christian life. Paul says this is true and proper worship. So what does it mean to be a living, a living sacrifice? Obviously the sacrifices in the Old Testament, like that lamb was brought in, They were killed, they were bled out, they were put on the altar to be burned, but we're supposed to be living. It's actually kind of interesting. We are, we're we're three part. We're the temple, we're the priest, and we're the sacrifice. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus, our great high priest, he has made us a kingdom of priests, and now we are also a sacrifice. It's kind of neat. Now that was, that was free, you know, just a little theology lesson there for you. But we now, we now, as all of those things, we lay our lives at his feet. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Christian life, it's not, a just, it's not just about like avoiding sins committed by our body but offering our body as a vessel for him to work through. This is an everyday commitment, sometimes moment-by-moment commitment where you have to lay on the altar. If if you've got parents of young kids in here, you know. Sometimes it's moment-by-moment i got to lay myself on the altar so that I don't respond the way that I want to respond in this situation. You know, maybe you have a coworker that's a little bit, that's hard to love and you've got to lay yourself on the altar. The things about the sacrifices they brought into the temple, those sacrifices didn't have a tendency to try to get off of the altar. We have a tendency to try to get off of the altar. It's like, well, I don't, you know, I, I want to respond this way or I want to do this or I want to do this. And so when we lay ourselves on the altar, but then when life gets tough or circumstances gets tough or people get tough, you know, we want to jump up off the altar and show people what we're made of. Um, <laughs> But this is sometimes a moment-by-moment moment commitment. Um, and, and it's interesting, if you, and this is how I think about it, when the lamb was laid on the altar, it wasn't incinerated, it was burned. And when you lay something in a fire, it doesn't automatically all burn up all at once. And that's the grace and the love of God. We lay ourselves on the altar, and he slowly burns us to make us more and more and more and more like him. In his grace and his goodness, he walks with us. And over time, he slowly says, okay, now I want you to give me that. Now I want you to give me that. Now I want you to, you had this hope in this dream, but I got this hope in this dream that's so much better. You know, you listen to this kind of music, but I've got this kind of music that's so much better. You know, you're walking around with this weight, but I've got this yoke that's so much better than what you've got. And so it's over time that he slowly, that all-consuming fire slowly moves through us and sanctify us. And I will say, you know, sometimes getting caught up in the everyday routine of life, the everyday, I know I'm supposed to read my word, I know I'm supposed to pray, I know I'm supposed to go to church, I know I'm supposed to, you know, do this, this God thing. I think over time we're like, okay, like I know that stuff, I've read it, you know, I've prayed, I prayed last week, you know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'll read the Bible with pastor on Sunday, 
Yeah, and, and we slowly fall into this because we know that we, we love him. We know that he is our God. We know that we're saved. But very slowly we can kind of slip into this religion and just kind of going through the motions, but not really connecting with him. And, and very quickly, you'll find yourself not being able to feel God anymore. Now, you know, you'll, you'll feel dry. You'll feel like he's distant. And so, you know, my question is, will have you come off of the altar? Have you come off of the altar? Was there a part of you maybe that began to burn and you decided like, I don't know about all this commitment. I don't like the way that felt. As we walk with him in his grace, he slowly begins to ask for things. He puts his fire on things that he wants us to lay down. And we don't physically give our bodies to burning, but the Holy Spirit comes and burns us up. And I believe that we still serve a God that we can feel and know and encounter and experience. (laughs) This Bible is full of stories that men and women that came under the power and the glory of God. And I think sometimes there's a kickback where we don't want to, well, I don't want to slide into emotionalism. I get that, but also God created our emotions. He created our emotions and our feelings that can be wonderful tools and drivers to move us into him. And so, you know, maybe allow God to redeem your emotions, to redeem your feelings. God, you know, music can cause really negative and bad and awful, terrible feelings that, that, that drive you in a way that is not, that is anti-kingdom, that is anti-Christ-like. But God created music. And he wants to use music and worship as a driver to lead us in by our five senses and our emotions to know and experience and encounter him. It's an incredible gift, an amazing, awesome thing that we get to experience from the Lord. You know, in scripture, in the Psalms, talking about playing instruments, we don't have to stand here cold-heartedly without any instruments or any talented singers or gifted musicians leading us. We don't have to stand here cold-heartedly singing the same things over and over and over and over again. We can sing a new song to the Lord. And we can lift up his praise with things that drive our emotions towards him. It's an incredible thing. And, and, and so I would say, let God surrender your emotions and your feelings to God and let him use those to take you deeper into his presence. I don't, you know, I, I see men and women in here that encounter the glory and power and fire of God. And I don't find a verse that says those things stopped. I believe that they can still, that God can still be encountered. I believe that you can still feel his touch. I believe that you can be aware of him, that you can sense his presence to varying degrees. And I've been in different atmospheres where it's like, where he's been like really, really, really heavy on me, where I've really, really, really felt his hands. There's times in my secret place where he come, my, my devotion time, my quiet time, whatever you call it, where, um, where God has deeply encountered me and I've been a, a, a messy puddle of tears. I know that's hard to believe with me, but... Um, <laughs> I'm going to try not to be a messy puddle of tears by the time we're done today. Um, but there's times where I really feel his presence and I allow myself to sink into that. That's not emotionalism. That's a love, intimate connection with my father, God. That's not emotionalism. That's an incredible gift that I get from him. Now, there's sometimes where I don't feel him at all, but I still go in that place because he's worthy. And so I'm not, I, regardless, I'm not chasing the emotion. I'm chasing him. And sometimes the emotions come and sometimes they don't, but he still gets the glory. Amen? Okay. I'll say this. Don't lower your expectations to your own experiences. Raise your expectations to the standard of the word. This This is what we, we're trying to raise our standards to what God says is available. So, amen. 
When Paul is talking about being a living sacrifice, offering our bodies, he means every part of us, especially physically. In verse 2, he goes into the mind, but I want to focus on verse 1. You know, it's fair to say that he literally means our, these bodies, our bodies, that we offer our bodies to him. The word he uses is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In Romans 6, he told us to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness and not instruments of evil. In 2 Corinthians 11, he tells the Corinthian church, I want to present you as a virgin bride to your husband, Jesus. There's that bridal language again. Don't get weird on me. That bridal language, I want to present you like, like a bride, a, a, a bride that is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish to your bridegroom, Jesus. He uses the same word there, present you, present you. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, he tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that our bodies are not our own. They're his. They belong to him. They've been bought. If you're a believer, a temple of the Holy Spirit, they belong to Jesus. And so we don't get to just do with them whatever we want. And our bodies as a whole, we don't get to do, we don't get to say whatever we want to say because our tongues belong to Jesus. We don't get to listen to whatever we want to listen to because our ears belong to Jesus. We don't get to look at whatever we want to look at because our, our, our eyes belong to Jesus. Our hands and our feet, I don't get to go wherever I want to go because my feet belong to Jesus. I don't get to do with my hands what sometimes I, you know, mm, you know hit somebody. But my, my hands belong to Jesus. And so I don't get to do that. I have to stay on the altar. I have to stay on the altar. Now, this is a, a costly ask. He asks for the things. He actually, in all four Gospels, he demands everything. In all four Gospels, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. If any man desires to save his life, he will lose it. But if he'll lose his life for my sake, he'll find true life. And so this is, this is the man that Jesus, that, that he asked of us. And in Luke 14, when Jesus gives his altar call, he tells him, you better count the cost before you follow me. You better count the cost before you follow me. But when we look at what Jesus gave for us, that's not a cost at all to me. That's not a cost at all to me. It's actually embarrassing to think about what I have to lay down when I think about how much he laid down. David Livingstone, a famous missionary to the nation of Africa, he said, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. He's worth what he asked for, church. He's worth what he asked for. Actually, I want to read you a little excerpt from this book here. Let me, bear with me. I'm going to take a drink before I read. Come unto me, all who are thirsty. (laughs) It says, in 1732, John Leonard Dober and David Nitschman, both in their early 20s, left their jobs and families to become the first Moravian missionaries. These two young men had heard that 3,000 slaves from Africa had been taken to an island in the West Indies to work on the sugar cane plantation. God had placed a burden on their hearts to go to the island and present the gospel to these slaves who were forced to work there. But there was a problem. The British slave owner, who was an atheist, would not let any missionaries on the island. He defiantly announced, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. And if he is shipwrecked, we will keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. Since they couldn't get on the island as missionaries, there was only one other option. They had to be willing to be sold into slavery. Selling themselves to the British planter was their only shot, and they took it. If they were going to share the gospel with the slaves, they would have to become slaves themselves. 
This wasn't a decision where they could come back in a few years. They would be working as slaves on the island for the rest of their lives and would never be able to return home. Their families were shocked and couldn't understand why they made such a radical decision. They had sacrificed their freedom and their entire future to serve Jesus Christ in a most unusual way. They wanted more than anything to answer the call of God to reach these slaves and please him with their lives. So on October 8, 1732, their family stood on the dock weeping, knowing they, would nev- knowing they would never see them again. As the ship pulled away with the young men on board, they linked arms and shouted to their loved ones they were leaving behind, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. These words became the anthem and inspiration for thousands of missionaries who would follow in their footsteps. Without realizing it, the two young men had birthed the missions movement. Over the next 150 years, the Moravians sent out 2,000 missionaries to various places all over the earth. I love that line that they shouted, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's, what's incredible about that little Moravian church is they started, uh, they actually started a 100-year uh, uh, prayer movement, um, and they over the next uh, 200 years, 150 years, they sent out 2,000 missionaries, um, and their congregation was never more than 300, which is incredible. And they, they got so moved on by God that they had three services every single day. Now, here's to see if, you know, coming at 1030 can be a little bit easy sometimes. Their services every day were at 530, 730 a.m., and their last service was at 9 p.m. And these guys started that missions movement where they sold themselves. And I'm not saying that we have to sell ourselves, but I'm just saying that he's worthy of anything that he asks us to do. He's worthy of our entire lives. I want to look at, real quickly, I want to look at five things that Paul says about the sacrifice that we offer. Number one, it's a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. Animal sacrifices were killed and consumed. We lay our flesh on the altar and we are consumed, but we are given new life. This is something that we choose to do every day. Christianity is not a dead religion. It is an alive religion, and we should be marked by life. Christianity is an alive religion. It is an alive belief system. We serve a Savior who is not dead but resurrected, and we are filled with that resurrected, abundant life. Colossians says that his resurrection is our resurrection. And so while we will be resurrected in the last days and given new bodies, our spirits also now are resurrected and we've been made alive. We are living sacrifices. We should be as believers full of life and peace and hope and joy and love as we sacrifice our lives on his altar at his feet. See, he's a God of exchange. He's a God of reward. When we give ourselves up, we get him. He fills us with himself. When you give him yourself, he gives you back himself. When you give him your feelings, he gives you his feelings. When you give him your weakness, he gives you his strength. When you give him your mourning, he turns it into dancing. When you give him your sorrow, he turns it into gladness. When when we give him our hopes and dreams and plans, he gives us his hopes and dreams and plans. And it's so much better his way. When we give him our cup, he fills it to overflowing. When we lay down our lives, he raises us back to life. When we give him our old, he makes us new. We are living sacrifices. We are full of life. Number two, he says the sacrifice is holy. 
It's unlike any other sacrifice. It's not, it's our bodies. It's the entirety of our lives. It's not just us laying down a part of ourselves. It's laying down our entire selves. That makes it set apart. And by doing this, he makes us holy. He makes us holy. (laughs) He's a consuming fire that makes us holy. He cleanses us on the altar, making us set apart from the world and likened unto himself. We are now empowered by him to live holy like him every day. And, and, And church, we don't, we don't do holiness. We are holy. <laughs> we are holy and we're being made holy. Our behavior will change as a consequence of laying down on the altar. So don't aim at changing your behavior. Aim at the altar. If you aim at the altar, your behavior will change. If you lay yourself down, he will transform you. The holiness we bring to the altar is a decision for holiness. It's yielding to the work of holiness in our life. As we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, God makes our life holy by burning away the impurities. The third thing is he says it's, a, it's acceptable, that our sacrifice is acceptable to him. Now he's talking about our, our life, our worship becomes a pleasing aroma in his throne room. Like when Abel offered his worship and Noah offered his worship and then Christ offered his life, they were all pleasing aroma. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 talks about imitating Christ, walking like he walks, laying down our lives, and our lives become a sweet-smelling aroma in the throne room of God. And listen, what's acceptable to him is not your works that you bring before him, it's you. He wants you. His greatest desire is you. The reason, Matthew 22, verse 37, 38, 39, the reason that the number one commandment that Jesus said is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The reason that is the first commandment is because it's what he desires most. It's the most important. It's what he desires most is our love. What he desires most is us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Not for God was so mad at and frustrated with and angry at the world that he murdered his only son. It's for God so loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Come on, this is good. This is so good. (laughs) Your status doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. Your righteous works don't matter. Your reputation, what you build with your life, your giftings, your talents, your looks, all of them are loss. He is what we gain. He is what we get. It's not us bringing those things to him. It's us bringing us, our bodies, our literal selves to him. It's not the size of the offering. It's simply the offering. And he loves you just as much as he loves the most powerful and influential people in the world. It's acceptable. You are what is acceptable. He wants you. The fourth thing, he says, this is reasonable. This is reasonable. End of verse 1, that this is reasonable. The word he uses for reasonable is the same place we get the word logical. Logical. What Paul is saying here is that offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is the only appropriate response. It's the only appropriate response to, in light of what he did, it's the only reasonable response. Meaning everything else falls short. Anything short of our entire lives falls short. It's the only reasonable response there's no good reason for us not to give all of ourselves. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. 
Though they are like crimson, I'll make them like wool. That is what God is saying. Come, let us reason together. Your sins are like scarlet, but I'm going to make them white as snow. They're like crimson, but I'm going to make you like wool. That is Jesus saying, let us reason together. This is what you are, and this is what I'm going to make you to be. He did that for me. When I was a sinner, when I was his enemy, that was his response. So the only appropriate response is me being all in. Me being all in. And the last thing he says, this is true and proper worship. Being a living sacrifice, this is true and proper worship. This is the way that we worship God as a living sacrifice. We may declare it with a song, but he's saying you got to live it with your life. Live it with your life. Christianity is not about what we can get from God, but what about we, what we can give to him. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler came to Jesus with a question, what must I do to obtain or what must I do to get? And he came to Jesus wanting something from him. And I'm afraid sometimes that's how we approach the Lord. Lord, I want your blessings and I want your health and I want this and I want life and I want heaven and I want the kingdom and I want all these things from you with really no interest in following him. What, what can I do to get? For true worship to happen, a shift has to take place where we come to God with, what can I give, Lord? I think about Mary and Bethany in John chapter 12, and she breaks open her alabaster jar. She pours out all of that nard in that house. And it would have been a year's wage, and Mary would have been extremely poor. This was probably her inheritance. This was her security blanket. This was her, 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 her golden egg that she saved up to, to, to live out the rest of her life. This was everything, and she, pour, she didn't ask him what he wanted. <laughs> she didn't ask about what can I get from you. She saw a man... She saw God. She saw those eyes that burn like fire, and she thought, I've got to give everything. I've got to give everything. I've got to pour it out on his feet. And you know what's incredible? When she poured out that nard, it would have overwhelmingly filled the house. Overwhelmingly been just, have you ever been around somebody that wears too much cologne? Too much perfume? Like, geez, bro, like he's off a little bit. <laughs> it just like burns your nostrils and cleans out your sinuses. <laughs> You can taste it. <laughs> it would have been that strong. It w- and and, and, and G- this is the night before Jesus, this is the last supper. This is the night before he was crucified. Jesus said, he, she, he, she has anointed my body for burial. So guess who would have smelled that perfume? The temple guards that came to arrest him. The high priest when he slapped him. The soldiers that pulled out his hair, that beat his back with a cat of nine tails. The soldiers that nailed him to the cross. And Jesus, Jesus would have smelled it on the cross. And her worship was a pleasing aroma. And when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, he on that cross says, I'll do it for them. I'll do it for Mary. He would have smelled it to his last breath. I actually want to, I want to end with worship today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have the worship team uh, come back out. I think it's just, it's appropriate, I believe. I want to respond with worship today. I 
I want to be a living sacrifice. Uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes by a theologian, and this might make the, the heresy hairs on the back of your neck stand up a little bit, but I'll explain it. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes by a theologian is that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. He died on the cross to show us how. Now, this is death on the cross. I get it. His death on the cross accomplishes things that my death doesn't, for sure. I, I know. I, got, I know, I know, I know. I know. Some of you are looking at me like, you know. I, when I say things sometimes and then that people's heads turn, you know, kind of like a, you know, when your dog's confused, like, what are you doing? I'm not calling you dogs. I'm not saying that. Jesus did call a woman a dog one time, though. He, he did call it. So, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that. But it's fine. I say something and people go, what are you talking about? I, I get that Jesus' death on the cross, like it freed me from my sin. It freed me from myself. It freed me from hell. It, it saved me from the grave. Like it did all, I get, I, I, for sure, I understand that. But I also understand that he said, deny yourself, take up your cross because we're going up that hill together. We're going up that hill together. And I believe as we lay our lives on the altar and he sends us fire to fall on us and we become a living sacrifice, man, that's the entrance into the kingdom. That's the entrance into the kingdom life. You lay yourself at your feet and he just pours out his fire and that fire is full of hope and that fire is full of glory and that fire is full of righteousness and holiness and peace and joy and grace and love and he fills you with that and you lay yourself on the altar and you live in the kingdom despite what's going on around you, despite the craziness that you see in the world, you get to be in the kingdom despite the storms that are happening. You get to live in the kingdom, man, with the king. That's the key. You get to be with him. Despite what the world looks like around you, I believe that you can walk with God in the cool of the day again. So in view of God's great goodness and mercy this morning, I urge you, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Friends, I want you to know that you're pleasing to him this morning. You're pleasing to him. Not based on your behavior, based on his You've been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So it's not based on your behavior, it's based on on his. And he sees you like he sees Jesus this morning. You're pleasing to him. You're acceptable, just you, not your giftings, not your abilities, not your righteous works. You're his child. He wants you. Not what you can do for him or what you have done for him. He just wants you. You can't earn any more affection than he already has to give you. God is love. It's reasonable. It's the only appropriate response to his great mercy, his great love, his great compassion. Does it come at great cost? Yes. But the reward far outweighs the cost. He's worth what he asked for. And if we'll truly see him for who he is, a living sacrifice pales in comparison for what he gave us. Philippians says, have the same mindset of Christ who being in his very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our Father. Jesus. Jesus. 
want to be a living sacrifice. 2 Timothy 3, I believe, verse 4 says that in the last days that people will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it's wild because it's like people are looking for the world to satisfy something in them that's never going to satisfy them. People are looking to different areas that the world has to offer in pleasure, not knowing that your greatest pleasure is found in his presence. And some people say, well, I tried that. Did you try it long enough? Did you try it with the right motive? Friend, there is new resurrection life, but it it does come on the other side of death. It comes on the other side of burial. It comes on the other side of the grave. Not not physically, I'm talking about in life now, where you, you, you die to your flesh, you die to your selfish ambitions, your selfish motives, and you just come to him and say, here I am, Lord, let your fire fall on me. Baptize me in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so I, let, let's stand. I, I want to enter in worship. And, and listen, I want to open up the altars. And, and, and if you need to come and kneel, I actually, I was in here last night laying hands on these altars, praying that the fire of God would fall on them. And I believe that sometimes that God responds to a physical act of surrender with the physical manifestation of his presence. And so... If God is calling you to come to an altar this morning, I want to invite you to that place where you come and you kneel and you ask the Lord to come and baptize you in his presence, in his fire, and let the Lord come and move on your heart. The band's going to do this song, and, and, and I, know that, I know that it's noon, and if you, need to, if you need to go, that's totally fine. It's totally okay. There's no judgment. We would love for you to be back on Wednesday night because Pastor Paul is preaching. Yes, sir. It's going to be good. Management of Life Series. Here we go. And so if you need to leave, you totally can slip out. That's totally fine. I'd rather you leave happy than stay mad. So we're going to worship. Let's offer up our bodies this morning as living sacrifices. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.